Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Last Friday, the Russian government enacted a new law that effectively shut down the last remaining independent news outlets in the country. But Vladimir Putin's government has never liked independent reporting, especially about himself and his associates. This hour, we'll be joined by Roman Badanin, who created a heavy-hitting investigative news organization in Russia and found himself targeted by the Kremlin and forced out of the country. He's landed in the Bay Area, and we'll talk with him about the Russian infoscape. Then we'll hear from our own Nastya Bonovskaya, associate editor for KQED Arts, about the complex relationships between the Russian and Ukrainian pieces of her family. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined this morning by Russian journalist Raman Badanin. He was the editor-in-chief of Project an investigative news org modeled on ProPublica here in the U.S., and it followed the money in and around Putin's inner circle. That brought the publication and Rahman himself to the attention of the Russian authorities. He's now the John S. Knight Senior International Fellow at Stanford, and he's founded a new journalism and exile outfit called Agentsvo, or Agency. Welcome to the show, Rahman. Hello, Alexis. Uh, morning, everyone. Yes. Thanks for joining us. You know, we're going to talk about what's happened in the last week in Russia, but I want to get your story first. What was your experience of being a journalist in Russia over the years? How did it change from kind of when you started to when you ended up leaving the country? Uh, well, uh, I've been working as a journalist in Russia for almost 20 years, and it's never been easy. It's never been like a happy time for Russian journalists. Uh, it always was like a difficult and sometimes really dangerous job. But everything has changed dramatically during last, I would say, three years. And to be honest, now we all are in the most dramatic moment in the history of Russian media. Mm. Almost none of independent media organization are still able to operate inside Russia. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about the reporting that you did that ended up kind of bringing down the hammer on the org because of how close it got to sort of the things that the elite levels of the Russian government care about. Uh, our idea 
was to touch, to focus on the most tabooed, most dangerous and most difficult topics we have. Thus, for example, we wrote a lot about the corruption in the inner circle of Mr. Putin. We also wrote really sensitive stories on the problem of, for example, healthcare system or edu mm -hmm. public education system. And all these together led us to various troubles. And the final, the final problem happened last July. It was a moment when the project or project uh, in Russian was recognized as undesirable organization in Russia, which effectively bans any operations inside Russia because everyone who somehow collaborate with project with undesirable organization, for example, whistleblower, expert, any journalists who just talk to us, he can go to prison. Mm. That undesirable organization label also came with some restrictions on you personally, too, right? Uh, yeah. Simultaneously, the Russian authorities started the criminal investigation against me personally and against two of my colleagues. Uh, the first charge was about the defamation uh, case. The defamation is the criminal charge in Russia. You can go to prison if you are... Mm -hmm. uh, commit such a crime. Uh, and of course, it was a false accusation because we made a story about the corruption uh, related to the guy who really close to Putin. His name is Ilya Traber. He's an old friend of Mr. Putin. And we made a story um, how he got his wealth. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Which and was how? How did he get his wealth? Uh, sorry? How did he get his wealth? Uh, well, very easy. Uh, as always, as all of them. Uh, uh, well, literally, he, well, he stole his money. From who? From Russian citizens. Hmm. <laughs> from the budget. From yeah. the state budget. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, the last thing, uh, well, my apartment back in Russia and the apartments of my colleagues, uh, they were searched in July. And, uh, well, it was a clear sign that something bad uh, will happen to us. And at that moment, we decided that probably it would be better for us to leave country uh, for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And when I left just week after uh, our organization was proclaimed as undesirable and in such circumstances, I decided not to go back because it was really dangerous. Everyone, as I said, for example, the head of undesirable organization can go to prison for sure. And that's why we decided not to go back. Yeah. 
When you say your you know apartment was searched and that was sort of a sign that something bad was going to happen, I have to be honest. I only have like movie ideas of what an, an, a searched apartment looked like. When you walked back into the room, I mean, is it like your couch cushions have been slashed? Like, what does it actually look like? How'd you know that your apartment had been searched? Well, it, it's a really brutal act. I mean, uh, uh, they didn't do anything like really brutal. Uh, like, as you said, they didn't cut our pillows or something like that. Uh, but again, they searched every room by room, everything inside, including like the pockets in my winter coat. Uh, it was a summertime again, and they found my winter coat and tried to find something in the pockets. Uh, and then they came to my son's room, and it was really awful because uh, they, for example, they confiscated all the gadgets we have uh, in our apartment, including those which belongs to my kids. Mm. So uh, I wish I wish you never knew what it looks like. Yeah. We're talking about the situation with government censorship and media and journalism in Russia. We're joined by Roman Badanin. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Ayensvo, also you could call it agency. That's what it is in English right now. He's the Knight Senior International Fellow. Uh, at Stanford. We'd love to hear your questions about Russian media censorship, how Russians are getting their information. Ramon maybe can help us out. The number here is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. So Ramon, given that this has been your experience, you know what it's like to be targeted you know what it's like to have your news organization effectively shut down. How have you been reading the events of the last week after the Russian government actually put new laws in the books, making it even more difficult for media to operate? Uh, well, I guess it's not the main news of the last two weeks because the war in Ukraine itself is way more important. And we should look at these two events Tighten together because the new law, the new crackdown on media is directly linked mm -hmm. to, to what is going on in Ukraine. Because the only idea of Putin right now is to shut down all the critical voices inside the country uh, because of the war. Because the war is, to be honest, is not popular, at least among people who live in big cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. That was the idea behind this crackdown. And describing this crackdown, I would say that, as I said, no independent media is still working in Russia. Absolutely none. Everything was closed, was banned, uh, was forced to leave the country. And even social media, as you perfectly know, were banned. For example, Facebook was totally banned today in Russia. So how are people who want independent, verified, truthful information about the war, which 
Russian media entities can't even call it a war. Where where are they going and how are they finding information? Uh, good, good question. Uh, well, many Russians now can rely only on VPN services, which allow Russians to bypass the... the Virtual uh, private networks, yeah, VPN. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, some of them still use social media to find the information which was aired abroad. Uh, but again, the access of regular Russians to the free independent information now is limited more than ever before. And that's the problem because if we want, if we really want to have this war stopped and to have, uh, if we want to, well, if we want to have Putin finish this war or if we want Putin to have to end what he's doing right now, mm-hmm. we need as much as we can uh, the accessibility of free information in Russia. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to to answer like my no, team you're, you're, in, in, you're... The, in the different chat. So that's why it's really difficult to concentrate on something. No, Sorry no. about that. Nope, it's no it's my job because because of the time difference, I have to room to run my company. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, we know you have you have work to do, uh, but stay with us. We're talking with Roman Badanin, founder and editor in chief of Agency, uh, currently the Knight Senior International Fellow. Uh, at Stanford, and we'd love to get your questions about how Russians are getting their information. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the current journalism landscape in Russia and government censorship with the journalist Raman Badanin, founder and editor-in-chief of the agency, uh, also a Knight Senior International Fellow at Stanford. And I, I wanted to ask you what it's like trying to run an investigative news organization that both needs to pull information out of Russia, connecting with dissidents, whistleblowers, people on the ground, as well as trying to get information back into the country. So maybe you could talk about those two things, what it's like to try and get information out of the country right now and then uh, getting information back in. Well, it's a really difficult task, I would say. Uh, We were, to some extent, we were lucky in the brackets because we were the first organizations which was 
media organization which was declared undesirable and we had to start our operations from abroad half a year ago mm. and all the rest of russian journalists they they are starting these operations right now so we uh we had some lag uh so again first task to establish secure channels to get information from the country uh it's quite a difficult thing uh because well many of our whistleblowers many of our sources uh experts people who we just talked to they refused to collaborate with the undesirable organizations because of their fear they just they just care about what russian authorities can do to them uh so it's the first test but after half a year of operations i would say it's absolutely doable even to produce the hard difficult investigative stuff from abroad it's doable mm -hmm. it's way more difficult but again we can do that and as of now it's the only way for russian independent journalism to survive uh we call it the offshore journalism <laughs> journalism in uh, exile yeah 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 are you in touch with the other reporters who are trying to get their feet or is, is your organization going to kind of try and help them understand how to do this job from the outside yes of course yes of course we do our best to help them to to accommodate to to start to build up their operations from the scratch because well and we collaborate with many of them we don't have a big amount of independent journalists in russia that's why i believe we all need to collaborate with each other we're talking about the current landscape of journalism and media in russia with journalist Roman Badanin. Love to get your questions about Russian media censorship, how journalists are doing their job uh, in and outside the country. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And let's bring in our first caller, Elizabeth from Palo Alto. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I have a, a kind of personal question. I'm wondering how, how you were able to leave and how easy it will be for you to get back your country good question elizabeth thank you so much well uh, yeah yeah thank you for your question well as of now i cannot go back uh, literally uh, because i will be arrested on the on the border uh and i'm not sure when exactly uh it can be real for me to to return to russia uh uh as um uh, regarding my immigration it was easy because at the moment when our organization became undesirable it was my vacation time i was traveling with my family across across africa uh and i learned all this news about the undesirable status and we had a very short conversation with my wife and kids and they said well it would be better for you not to go back and I stayed in Africa, and then I moved to Stanford. Uh, yeah, and they went back to Russia to pack our stuff uh, and to prepare the relocation. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, they joined me here at Stanford. Do you think there's any chance you'll go back? I hope so. And I believe that now it's even more real than, uh, than half a year ago. Because starting this aggressive war in Ukraine, Putin makes his end way more real and way more close. So I believe so. But again, as any immigrant, I would say that the best strategy is to be prepared that the immigration is forever, or at least for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay, listener Kay uh, tweets, how is the lack of independent media accepted and perceived among Russians generally? Uh, well, we don't have any sociological data which we can rely on uh, because the sociology was the first victim of Putin's regime. Uh, They all are closed or they acquired by the state. Uh, But I would say that if we are talking about the inhabitants of big cities like Mm -hmm. Moscow and St. Petersburg, they feel this lack really strongly. And day by day, this lack will be more and more important, I would say. Uh, And that's the problem. Because they are deprived not only uh, of big media, they're deprived of social media right now. They cannot use Facebook. And this lack will be very significant problem for Putin's regime in the nearest future. Yeah. You mentioned that you think that this war could hasten the end of Putin's regime. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you imagine that happening from dissidents on the inside? Like, how, how do you see from sort of a palace coup if people have been talking about within Putin's inner circle? Like, how, how do you see this? Well, the brief answer is Basing on the history of Russia, including the history of the 20th century, I would say that the most real scenario is the, as you said, the palace coup. I don't know. I don't have any proven data that it's preparing or something like that. But and I don't know for sure who can be the the force which is ready to overthrown Putin. Uh, but I believe that the most real scenario is the, mm-hmm. is the coup inside the Putin's elite. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have friends, family, colleagues still in Russia. Have their lives changed a lot or a little since the Russia invaded Ukraine? Well, I guess it's too early to say about that. In terms of daily life, almost nothing has changed since, uh, like, uh, Mm. it's two weeks since the war started. Uh, I mean, the groceries are still okay. Uh, The daily life on the streets are still okay. Uh, But again, it's too early to, to think about it. I guess the real consequences of what is going on in Ukraine will appear about like 
in the months after mm-hmm. the start of the war. Mm-hmm. So we need to wait a little bit. Yeah. Who do you trust to do solid reporting on the war right now? Uh, well, uh, it's really good and difficult question because as every war, this war produces a lot of propaganda and fake. Uh, and it's inevitably that the propaganda exists from the both sides, unfortunately. And uh, But anyway, if we are talking about the Ukrainian side, the Western reporters, the Ukrainian reporters are allowed to work on the war zone, in the war zone, on the battlefield. And this makes their information more truthful, more real, because from the Russian side, no journalist are attached, I mean, independent journalists are attached to the uh, to the battlefield. And that's the problem. So I rely mostly on international reporting and uh, reporting from my Ukrainian colleagues. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael, another listener, uh, tweets uh, kind of on this topic. Do Russians have any access to Western media? The announcement that the BBC would broadcast over shortwave to Europe for the first time in 14 years makes me wonder... We were once encouraged to contribute to Radio Free Europe because the, quote, Iron Curtain isn't soundproof. Uh, well, as I said, the access of Russians to digital products of Western uh, media companies is limited right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if we, are talking to BB, uh, if we are talking about BBC, BBC is blocked right now. And they really started the... Um, the coverage on the different frequency. I don't know, is it popular or not? But if we are talking about like uh, Western, big Western newspapers, like the New York Times or whatever, uh, they are still accessible from Russia. Hmm. Uh, Are they popular? Not really. I don't think so. Uh, And that's the problem. The Russians rely on Russian news sources. And that's the problem with Putin, because he closed all the independent sources of information inside Russia. And people have to watch TV. And that's the, and that's the biggest problem, because Russia is a country which still is ruled by the TV. That's the problem. Mm. What is shown on the TV, that's right, in terms of Russian propaganda. I want to bring in listener Christopher from Sacramento, who has another question about another kind of information source in Russia. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Go Hello? ahead. Yep, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, um, I just had a, a question. For example, um, this is a, an expert from the Metropolitan Hellerian of East America, New York, first hierarchy of the Russian Orthodox Church abroad in a petition to his parishioners here in America. And it says, and I quote, in connection with the events of the Ukrainian and I turn to a heartfelt plea to refrain from excessive watching television, newspapers, and the internet, and uh, to close like our hearts to the passions ignited by mass media. If uh, given the relationship of orthodoxy in Russia, and if this is an example of what's going on with the Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church here in America, is there is is the Orthodox Church in Russia promoting? these same kind of um, ideas? And is it a source of information for the, for the Russian people to yeah. get information? Uh, well, uh, if I understood correctly, because it was like some problems in the signal. Uh, well, uh, 
I would say that Russian Orthodox Church now plays very, I would say, not a pretty role in what is going on in Ukraine because the head of Russian Orthodox Church uh, actually didn't condemn the war and he, well, he supported actually what is going on in Ukraine. Uh, but talking about the Russian Orthodox Church as an information source, mm-hmm. no, I would say the influence of Russian Orthodox Church in terms of information is not very high. It's been waning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, as I reflect on that call and just the way that you've talked about the many different kind of institutions that uh, you've reported on, it seems like all these different institutions that the Putin regime has corrupted and, and taken over. Investigative journalism is one of the last bastions to, to give people the truth about those places, to try and remind them of what the original purposes of them were. Do you think it's had an impact inside Russia, the kinds of investigations that you've done and the kinds that other reporters in independent media, which are now closed, have been able to do? Uh, yeah, good point. Uh, we were always joking. I mean, we Russian journalists were always joking. And what is the impact we said? Like, we wrote a story about the corruption inside Putin's uh, closed circle, and nothing has happened. I mean, no resignation, no criminal charges against those who are corrupted. And but all of a sudden, after 10 years of existence, all we are banned. And I and I said to myself, and what's the reasons for us to be banned if if we are not dangerous for them? And the answer is very simple. We are dangerous for them. They really care what we are doing. And they they really nervous if we find something, something I would say bad and something interesting about that so the answer is we still make difference Uh, we still can hurt them Mm -hmm. yeah you know stav writes the community of independent journalists in russia is very small and you probably know many of them this is a great question what unites them what personality traits are common to them how do they find the bravery to face Big Brother every day, and I'm just going to editorialize myself, knowing that their colleagues have been jailed, murdered, etc. Well, first of all, Alexis, you know, of course, that the journalism is a very interesting job. To be honest, I like my job. I like to wake up in the morning and to try to find something new. First thing. Second thing, well, we believe we are Saying we, I mean, all the independent journalists in Russia, I know. We all are mission-driven guys. We believe that we can make difference. And we believe that we can do something good for the future of our country, even in these dramatic circumstances. So two things. It's interesting and it's important. Yeah. I think it's hard, you know, from my perspective, maybe it's even hard to to see how brave 
to sort of note your own bravery in quite the way that I think those of us, uh, your your colleagues in much cushier circumstances, are, are able to see it. You know, I think this with the reporters down, you know, covering narcos in Mexico. I think this with, yeah. with you. I mean, I, I can't even imagine it, honestly, and the stress to your families, the stress, you know, your children. Um, and I think we all just really appreciate it, Ramon. <laughs> really. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you give us just before we go, we're heading into break in a sec, but what, what's what's next? Do we have any projects that, you know, are going to come out soon that we might want to keep our eyes out for? Yes, of course, we are continuing uh, to work on the most, as I said, on the most tabooed and most interesting topics, uh, in, even in these circumstances. And as I said, we can do it from abroad and you will learn more very interesting news about Putin and about the situation in Russia very soon. Okay. Thank you so much again. This Thank has you. been so so enlightening and, and just so interesting, I think, for those of us who you know who who don't get to share uh time with someone who has been on the front lines of, of this kind of work. <laughs> we have been talking about the current landscape of journalism, particularly after independent media in Russia. Pretty much got shut down last Friday. We've been joined by Raman Badanin, founder and editor in chief, uh, editor in chief of Agentvo. He's now the Knight Senior International Fellow at Stanford. Raman, thanks again so much for joining us. And thank you for having me here today. One last listener comment. Mari just writes, "Thank you for your bravery." I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.